0: Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Father God, we love you so much, and we just bless your name. Um, Lord, we know that that we would never have been here were it not for you. And Father, every one of us, um, God, we we are in the story that we'll be talking about today that we, we talked in part about last week of being that younger son and being that older son, and Father God, we thank you that you are here to do something beautiful in us, and not just to clean us up, but Lord, to repurpose us and, and give us a life that can be lived for impact, and so we want that today. We just thank you for this incredible story Jesus told a, a bunch of religious folks who were all upset about him and, him and uh, his association with sinners, and Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you chose to associate with sinners because we are not who we were because of you, what you did, what you said, the death you died, uh, the, the, the resurrection that happened on the third day, and then the Spirit of God that you poured out on us. And Lord, we don't want to be on the outside missing anything you have for us. So God, speak to us through your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, as Mark alluded to, we are right in the middle of a story in Scripture. It's not often that you do this and in seminary, you're always taught to take every story and go all the way through it. But we stopped halfway last week because th- this is a story that's about three people principally. And the first half of the story is about two of them. And then the second half of the story is, is about two of them. And so last week, we stopped right after the younger son. And we took a good look at this younger son and his father. And, and we noticed a few things about what I, who I'm going to now call prodigal number one, because there are two prodigal sons in this story. Um, the younger son, last week we saw, came into his father's presence, and he is a young man that, as, as Mark pointed out last week, he's very childish. You know, he's not childlike. He is childish. And he comes in very, uh, just very selfishly. And in the story, he wants what he can get from his father so he can go and live life his way, and that's exactly what he does He comes into his father, he demands his half of the inheritance that the family's living off right now, you know, that is in use for the family, but he wants it now, he demands it, he receives it, and then he races away from home, and it's a long, long way from home. This young man is doing his best to get as far away from his father's watchful eye and his family's accountability, he goes off so he can just you know, he, he, he can live life his way. And what's so tragic about the story until what comes after, what's so tragic about it is the boy is after personal freedom, but what does he get? He gets bondage. You know, he ends up destitute, impoverished. He is enslaved to sin, and he's the only one that, that, that you know, can be blamed for it. But then there's that great moment in the first half of the half of the story, right? The first quarter of the story, where he comes to his senses. He wakes up to reality and he enters into true repentance. And sometimes we wonder, you know, do people really mean it? Oh, I'm sorry, I, I blew. Does the young man really mean it? Is this true repentance? Absolutely. Because all of the markers are here. Now, here's how you know when it's true repentance. Number one, the young man sees himself as he really is. He, he sees the truth, you know. He sees that he's defiled, he's sinful, he's selfish, and he understands that no one else is to blame but him. You know, he's not in the middle passage going, I did all these things, but, you know, it's really, it's really that peer group I hung out with. You know, he's blaming nobody but himself. That's a sign of true repentance. He also understands what his sin has done and who his sin has hurt. He he gets it that he has sinned first and foremost against God. But he's also sinned against his Father. And then we see his brash cockiness, you know, because at the beginning of the passage, man, he is strutting, you know. I mean, he's the man, right? But that gives way when he comes to his senses, and he's incredibly humbled. And even going back home, you know, he is willing to take the lowest place, even the place of a servant. And then finally, all of that leads him where? It leads him back home. It leads him back to his father, back to life together with his family. So, it's just incredible what happens to this young man. But then we also have his awesome, awesome father. And listen, if you want to know, where should I linger and hang out in the prodigal son? Spend time with the father, okay? His father is absolutely amazing. First of all, he never stops watching the road for his son's return. Um, he, he is a father When his son comes, he sees his true uh, repentance, and he accepts it right there. You know, a a lot of parents, we said last week, what what would a lot of good parents have done? Well, we need to have a little waiting period here, you know. I, I hear you all about the sorry and all, but let's just see if you really mean it. The father accepts it right there instead of shaming him, instead of humiliating him. And then the father confers every privilege and every right of sonship. Back on his son. He won't take him as a servant. He won't take him as a black sheep. He will only receive him as a son. And then the Father, he treats this repentance as what it really is. This is a reason to celebrate. This is a reason to party. This is what what celebration is all about. So the Father does this. And so what Jesus has done for us with the Father is he has painted the Father out to be a hero. And as the song says, a good, good father. A man who is quick to say yes out of love. A man who is generous and giving just in the most extravagant sense. We, we, we get in the father. This is heroic as well, biblically speaking. He is so humble. You know, he, in the beginning of the story, he puts the son's desires above his own and at the end of the younger son's half, he puts the son's pain and hurt above his own pain and hurt. He's watchful. He's waiting for the return home. And again, he is welcoming, compassionate, and just joyful. This is a joyful papa. He not only knows how to celebrate, and I would submit to you that this feast is a pretty good celebration. He knows exactly when to celebrate. And what Jesus is doing in the Father is he is giving us a story about our heavenly Father. In the Father, we see the heart of God. He stands out for us to realize this is is who our heavenly Father is. So, now we have a story of restoration, salvation, and God's heart for the lost. That's what we got last week. Y'all ready for this week? Good. Yes. All right. Little Yeah, okay. Luke 15, 25 through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your, prost- uh, your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me. And everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So here we now get to focus on the older brother, and I want to say a couple of things about this young man um, before we, we dig too deeply in the story. Realize when it comes to the older brother, he did not demand an early inheritance, okay? Um, He did not run away. He did not go out like his younger brother and party like a rock star, waste all of his father's resources that were given to him. What did he do? He stayed home. He was dutiful, you know? He didn't cause any trouble. But now here he is in Luke 15, suddenly stepping onto center stage. And what we see out of the older brother is that he might be more lost than the younger brother was. Now, it starts off innocently enough. You know, he's out in the fields, he does his day's work, and, you know, finally quitting time comes, and so he goes and he punches his ticket in the time clock, and he begins to make his way home like he does any other day. But as he approaches the house, something's different, and something different is the noise as he approaches the house. He hears something he usually doesn't hear at the end of a work day, and it's music, and it's dancing and it's laughing. And, and so he's confused, and he, and he sees a servant maybe coming from that direction, and he stops and he asks him, what in the world is going on? And, and the servant very quickly fires back because, it, it, you know, this is the estate, you know, daily news. This is what's happening in the moment. He says, "Look, look, your brother's back. And so your father has called for a great feast to celebrate his return. Son number two hears this. And hopefully you can catch the whole visual here. But son number two here is this, and his eyes narrow, his fists clench, and his feet become tree roots, and he just goes into full statue mode. By the way, this is called standing your ground. And, and this is a time to, this is kind of a beware, a caution moment, because um, on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. This young man is not standing on very solid ground. And so his father looks out of the window and he sees that something is wrong with his son. So he quickly goes to him and he entreats him. He calls him in. He invites him. Hey, come on and join us. Come on. There's a party inside. Don't stay there. Come in here into our joy. And that's when the volcano erupts from Sun Number Two. Celebrate? Are you serious? Celebrate what? I mean, are you are you you really expecting me to celebrate him? I mean, what about me, Dad? What about me? All this time, I've been the perfect son. I mean, look at the two of us. Who's the good one? I'm the good one. For years, I have slaved for you. I've never questioned you. I've never disobeyed your orders. And if you'll permit me, I just want to stop the bus for just a minute and invite us to just linger here Um, because I I want to do a little bit of fact-checking, okay? I mean, this kid's one sentence into his speech. We need to check some facts, okay? Number one, um, years. For years. Really? Really? maybe, but okay. Um, The next one, I've been slaving for you. Okay, think about the papa in in, in this passage so far. You know, what is a slave master like? I mean, he's got a whip in his hand, he is driving. Do you ever see a trace of a father who is making people slave in, in the estate? Absolutely not. And has this kid been working like that, under that kind of burden, that kind of heaviness? Ah, man, I don't think so. And and here's my favorite. I've never disobeyed you. Um, I am sure he's a pretty good son. I have never met the kid who never disobeyed his parents, not even once. But, you know, that is what never means. So, look, here's what we've got. We have got extreme absolute language. What actually reveals the, what's on the inside of this young man. This young man is filled with resentment. He has a seething resentment which is turning into a self-righteousness over his miserable, rotten brother. And by the way, he's not done yet, okay? We've got another sweet little thing coming up, which is the pity party, okay? He's now gonna try and turn this thing into a, 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 a pity party. I'm the good son, Dad. Where's my party? You never even gave me a goat so I could call my friends together to celebrate me. Have many of you thrown a party to celebrate yourselves before? I mean, this thing is really getting off in the weeds. But but this is where he's at. But then it gets even worse, because then he goes on to say, but, okay, dad with all that now said, when this son of yours comes home, do y'all hear that? This isn't even my brother anymore. It's this son of yours. And it just tells you to this young man, the younger brother, y'all, he is dead to him and by the way that is called hate you can't dress you know it's a story about pigs right you cannot put lipstick on that pig and call it no it's really self-righteousness it's not it's hate this guy now hates his brother but when this son of yours comes home who has squandered your wealth on prostitutes okay what does the word of god say when it comes to us and sinful people, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. This dude's got a scroll filled with his brother's sins. And, and and it's just really sweet of him to throw in the fact that loose women were involved, Dad, you know? But but he is rolling it out. When this son returns, Dad, you put on cool in the gang, and everybody's supposed to celebrate good times? Come on. Y'all like that? I finished that, didn't I? See, I finished that line. I flipped the come on. But I mean, you know, it, and what he's saying to his dad is fat chance. There's absolutely no way. Now, listen, let's stop for a second. To be fair, when it comes to the facts, the older brother is Right? He is correct, isn't he? I mean, all of those things did happen. His brother, his younger brother, committed every single sin that this brother lists. And by the way, he committed many, many more sins. So so he did it all. But see, here's the problem at this juncture in the story. If your brother did all those things and he came back that sinful, older brother, are you in any position to help him like that? No. I mean, have you all ever had somebody, you know, been dealing with someone who's really in a place of sin? How does this work? You know, when they come in and you're like, it doesn't work. It doesn't help. This older brother cannot be a part of any, any saving moment, any redemption. But see, that isn't true in this story, is it? The other is true. His brother has come back and his brother's changed. His brother's restored. His brother's repentant. So... When he lists all those sins, that was then. This is now. Things are completely different. But the problem with the older brother is he's so full of hate and anger and resentment, he can't see it. And so, because he can't see it, well, there's no way he's going to celebrate it. The older brother has got his nose so far in his brother's past sin life, he can't smell his own current condition. He can't smell that he doesn't pass the spiritual smell test. He can't smell that his heart is rotten, that he's just kicking off noxious fumes of, oh, hatred and everything else. Uh, we just watched Lord of the Rings as a family over Christmas like some of you do. You know who he is? He's Gollum. He is just this shriveled mass of, of, of embitteredness and resentment. And what has happened, in case you, you haven't caught it before, the two boys have switched places. They have actually switched places in the story. The younger son starts off as a wretched sinner, but he ends up a redeemed, repentant, restored, beloved son. The older brother began as the dutiful son, but at the end, he winds up a miserable, embittered son. The the younger son ran away from home, but he came back home. The older brother never ran away from home but here he is just steps outside the house and he is miles away he is far away from life from joy from from the love of his family and so here is the papa he's just heard all of this the father and and i want you to note with the father he never breaks character throughout the whole story you know listen i'm a nice guy i try to be a good pastor I'd probably get a little riled up if one of my kids said that to me. You know, uh, Steve would have not a good moment. You know, I mean, I'd be like, oh, well, let's oh, you re- you want to go? Let's go. You expect that to- he never breaks character. He is loving, inviting, welcoming, and restoring with the younger son. That's exactly who he is now. He goes out to son number two with that same welcoming love, and he gently now speaks truth that his older son needs to hear. And the truth is simple: the truth is, son. Everything that I have, it has always been yours. I have always been yours. The love of the family has always been yours. Please call that to mind. Please bring that up. Realize that and, and come in and celebrate because the day is a day of celebration. Your younger brother was dead to us, but he's alive to us now. You know, he was lost to us. But, but, but he's been found. And what the father is doing is, is very simple here. He's just inviting the older son to repent of all his hate, all of his, his resentment, and enter into his joy, enter into life together with the family. And, and what makes the story now painful is that if you remember, who is Jesus telling the story to from last week? He's telling it to the Pharisees, okay? Okay. Um, They are listening to Jesus tell this story, and Jesus is calling the Pharisees by telling them this to repent over their resentment of him restoring, rejoicing, accepting, and saving sinners. He's inviting the Pharisees to step into the joy of the Lord as Jesus just ministers And people get rescued. Don't don't, don't stay out here and, and play hard, angry church and be above everybody. Step into the joy. Become a part of this family. It is an invitation. And the wild thing about the prodigal son story to me is that we actually don't know how the story ends for the older brother. Have you ever thought about that before? Jesus never tells you whether the older brother does this or whether he goes in the house. And we don't know what happened with the Pharisees. Now, I I think the reason Jesus doesn't doesn't finish the story for the Pharisees is because he's saying, guys, you are the older brother, and the end of the story is up to you. What will you do? And he just leaves it hanging there. I think the same is true for us in the church, that Jesus leaves the story open because, in a sense, the ending of the story played out today is really up to us. And, And, by the way, if you're wondering... I am suggesting that we in the church, we Christians very often are the older brother. Um, folks, we are prone to older brother disease from a very early age. I'll tell you a story, one story in my life of being an older brother, uh, a diseased older brother type person. My dad and I, when I was, when I was young, I got an incredible dad, you know. And he was very much like the father in this story, in the scene I'm about to tell you. My dad and I used to play uh, football. We'd, We'd play catch with football when I was little, so eight, nine, ten years old. And we had a Nerf ball. And with a Nerf, the old Nerfs, There was a way you could throw the Nerf, and it was like a torpedo. I mean, it hit you. It was So my dad would, we drill each other with the Nerf. It was so much fun. Well, one day while we're playing Nerf outside, this kid comes walking up. He was a kid from the neighborhood. I'd known him forever. His name was Chris. And so Chris comes wandering up, and and my dad says, Hey, Chris, why don't you throw football with us? So Chris says, Okay. So the three of us are throwing football. We're having fun. I'm having fun. He's having fun. And uh, as the game goes on, my dad begins to kind of be a coach and an encourager. My father's very kind, very encouraging. If you don't feel encouraged around my dad, well, you, you, well, you're not alive, but he's just that good at it. So my dad begins to encourage Chris. Good throw, Chris, great catch. And so as the game progresses, I start to get resentful. And, and after like 10 minutes of this, I am boiling over inside as a child. And what I'm thinking is, how can you do this? Dad, how can you encourage him like this? You know, I'm your son. He needs to go home. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking it too. Bad, bad moment. It's a bad moment. But what I, what I, in telling you that story, what I want you to realize is this is us sometimes, Maybe more often you know, than, than sometimes, but it can happen to us. It happens all the time in our regular life, you know, this, this jealousy, this elitism, this resentment. But I'll tell you, it can happen to people spiritually, and it's so important that Jesus told this story to the church. Sometimes it happens in the, that, that a church will become filled with, with just this resentful elitism. You know, and 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 like the Pharisees, what happens is we can fall into that delusion as the church that, you know, like the older brother, we're the good ones. You know, on planet earth, we are the good ones. You know, when it comes to worshiping God, the chief end of man is to worship God and glorify him. Who does that? It's us. We're the ones that worship him. You know, when it comes to the commands of God, we we know them, we hear them preached, we try and live them out. We're the obedient ones. When it comes to ministry and making a difference, we're the ones who are teaching these kids. And, you know, we're getting involved in all kind of, kinds of ministries. When it comes to home life, what the church is, is the house of God, the home of God. We're here every week. We can adopt this mindset that we are the good ones. We are the children of God. And everybody else out there, psh, man, they need to get it together. If they come, they're welcome. But, you know, that's, we can adopt that. Now, sometimes it's not that sinister That we actively hate the world, and and this often is me, but when I stop and look, I realize, well, maybe I don't actively hate the world, but I don't love the world the way I should. You know, when you see the way Jesus loves the world and what He calls us to, we realize quite often we, we don't stop as Christians and go to them and share the good news of Jesus, and pray with them, and and, and serve them. I mean, quite often for so many Christians in our nation, spiritual life is about me. You know, it's about me, and it's about the family that comes to worship together with me. And Jesus is calling us here to have the heart of God for all of our lost younger brothers out there. And just so you know, they're not just brothers. They're not just guys. They are young and old. They're rich and poor. They're male and female. And what he's saying to the Pharisees is, guys, if you don't get in the game, yours is a wasted life. And I think it's entirely possible for whole families of God to become like the Pharisees, you know, on the outside looking in like the older brother, just forgetting the fact that heaven rejoices when anyone comes to Christ. You know, in so many churches, In America, there's actually never the celebration that we see in the prodigal son because the lost don't really get lost through the church. There's this whole missing dynamic of new life, new salvation. And so I say, KPC, what we want to do in 2019 and 20 and 21 and so forth is we want to journey toward the lost with Jesus Christ. We want to enter into our Father's joy. And I tell you, for a church to take that journey, it actually starts with us as individuals. I think it, it starts with every one of us taking a self-exam for elder brother disease. Um, I, I think we all need to do this. Um, and, and, I, and we'll have a little fun with it because I know this is, you know, challenging stuff. We'll do it Jeff Foxworthy style. Is that fair? We're going to do it Jeff Foxworthy style, okay? You might be an older brother if, Okay. If you quickly identify all the sinful younger brothers around you, you might be an older brother, right? I saw some of y'all pointing last week. When, no, I didn't see that, but you might. Um, if, if you see and magnify the sins of other people, and you are blind or you minimize your own sins, you might be an older brother. If you demand, and every married couple, get ready, here's a challenge, if you demand that other people change, and you believe that your happiness depends on other people changing, you are an older brother, okay? I, I've been an older brother like that with my wife a few times where I just think, you know what? If she would just change this marriage, would be great. That is the biggest bunch of baloney. You want your marriage to change, you need to change. That's where it starts every single time. That's the principle. Everybody's amen in that. And you should be. And my wife like, Jane's like, mm-hmm, and I'm going to remember that, sucker. <laughs> No, but you should, sweetheart. My wife is a wonderful teacher. Um, If you have a list not of what's wrong, but who's wrong, you might be an older brother. If you are uh, angry, not over injustice in the world, but you're angry because there is anger in you, big difference, you might be an older brother. If you're quick to pass judgment and slow to give grace, And slow to give forgiveness and slow to believe the best. You might be an older brother. Um, When it comes to your sin, if when it comes to your sin, there is rarely a coming to your senses moment, you might be an older brother. And listen, if that is you today, okay? If that's you, especially when you're new here, don't despair. Don't condemn yourself. You know, there is no condemnation in Christ because we're going to take a minute, just, just before communion, just spend a couple of minutes repenting together as individuals because I think a lot of us are here today. Um, so uh, uh, before that, I do want to appeal to all of us in the name of Jesus Christ to be like the found younger brother. He took a heroic journey back home, and he got rid of what was in his way in life. I pray that we will do that as a body, as, as, as Christians, that we, we and Steve... We'll remove everything that is in the way of love, the love of God, everything that is in the way of our mission with God through repentance. You know, repentance is such a gift. It's so underutilized. I pray we'll do that. I pray that we will not ever be a church filled with older brothers. Have you ever been to an older brother church? Boy, you might have prayed going in there, but you're going to be condemned by the time you leave. I mean, it is a rough place to be. You know, a, a, a church of judgment um, Mark, Steve, and Neil, um, we also need to be a church that are never pastored by older brothers. The three of us need to always remember that. Here, I'll tell you guys a story since it's just us for a second. I was praying over this this week about not being a pastor who's an older brother, kind of elitist, and the, the Lord uh, I just said, God, show me, show me anytime I've ever been an older brother, and the Lord said to me, you know, every time you preach thinking you know struggle that the church is going in uh, under, or you know how the church needs to change, you've just been an older brother. And I was like, wow, God, how subtle that is, you know? But Lord, I, I, I want to let you be the Lord of this church, and you change every one of us. We don't need to be a church pastored by older brothers. Leaders throughout the church, elders, deacons, um, teachers, we, we need to not try and lead ever as an older brother who's got it all figured out to those poor younger, younger sons. We don't want to ever do that. And so I invite us today, I invite every one of us before communion, I invite us into repentance. Into just a, a change of heart. You know, this year we are going to add to the church and we're going to subtract some things. This is a big year of change for KPC. KPC. Before we start changing anything to the church, let's deal with the first church. We are temples of the living God, right? Let change begin in these temples first, and then we'll be fit to to do whatever the Lord leads us to do. So I want us to pray, okay? We're going to pray for two groups today, um, or invite two groups to pray. The first are younger sons, younger brothers. If you are here today and you are a younger brother, okay? You are a long way from home. You are a long way from God. You do not know Jesus Christ. I invite you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Word of God tells us He is the way, the truth, and the life. And and what the verse is telling us is, look, outside of Jesus, there is no life. He is the love you have been looking for he is the life you've been yearning for, trying to fill yourself with all this other stuff, all these other people. They'll never satisfy you. He and he alone is the one. And I call you to him today. I just invite you today, as, as, as we get quiet in just a minute, just ask him to forgive you. Receive the forgiveness that was already given on the cross. You know, God's forgiveness is already here for you. Receive it. Ask him into your heart, into your life today. Live! Live! January, the what is the day, the 5th, the 6th? Your birthday. Let it be your birthday, you know? All right. We'll sing that song every January 6th to you. It's your birthday. It's your, okay. So, but, but second, if you are like me and, and you find yourself as an older brother from time to time, I invite you together with me right now to repent, just to enter into a repentance for us to get still for a moment. And not make excuses for it, not beat ourselves to death for it, but say, Father, I've been guilty of being a judgmental, resentful older brother in whatever way it is. I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Because at the end of that is entering into the joy of your Father. It's entering into true fellowship. And I, by the way, I think that's what John is talking about um, when, when, uh, when he says... Um, He says, uh, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you too may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. That's what He's inviting us into, to being these redeemed, younger sons and daughters who are following our Father everywhere. I tell you, that is the sweet spot of the kingdom of God. And if you come with something on your heart, something on your mind, whether it's resentment or wild living, and you pray this prayer and you're like, I don't know, listen, God is a forgiver, right? 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us, to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from any and all righteousness. So we're going to do something a bit awkward to end the service. Um, I'm going to sing to you a few of my... No, I'm not going to do that. Um, We are going to get quiet for just a moment. We're going to have a moment of silence together. And I just invite you to do whatever business you need to do with the Lord. We might let it get a little longer than five seconds so it's uncomfortable. But just for a moment, get still. And just communicate whatever you need to with the Father and receive from the Father. And then Neil will come up and lead us in communion in just a moment. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.